Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Anytime a minority wants change to happen in this country, and I, by a minority, I mean a minority of people who hold a specific belief or believe that change should happen, um, they have to convince a lot of people and a lot of their legislators to believe the same thing in order for that to actually get done. You saw it with the fight for uh, gay marriage. I mean, that took, it felt like it was an overnight success, but that took 30 years of organizing and 30 years of convincing hearts and minds. Even And even when the majority of the country believed that it should have been done, you know, it took a Supreme Court decision. So, like, it is really difficult. And I, I have the utmost respect for the people who can show up you know, like hear the conspiracy theorists talk about, you know, how much they're evil people and yeah, really, you know, and, and the, the atrocities that people kind of accuse our government workers of doing uh-huh. and, and still believe in the cause and show up to get it done every day. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Caleb, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So, you know, I came across you and your story by way of our mutual friend, Michael Roderick, who has uh, been one of those other people who continually sends me uh, new guests to interview. And you know, every single person he's sent has been stellar. So no pressure at all there. Uh, <laughs> but when he told me what you did and the fact that you managed, you know, a number of digital assets for Barack Obama, I thought, yeah, this is a story we have to tell because this is not just like a typical social media manager job. This is really interesting work. Uh, uh, about building community at scale and doing a whole bunch of other things. But I want to start um, by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school? And w- what impact did that have on the choices that you've made with your life and your career that have led you to this point? <laughs> what an interesting question to start with. Well, I was uh, uh, social groups I was part of in high school. Um, I feel like I kind of was one of those people that carved out my own social niche because I didn't really like intentionally fit in like with the jocks or with the like cool kids or with the nerd. So I kind of like hung out with all of them depending on where I was at any given day. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely like one of those AP class, you know, students. So I had, I had some hardcore nerdage um, in high school and then I did a little bit of theater. So I hung out a little bit with the theater kids who were always an interesting group. Um, and then, and then I was, I grew up in the South actually in Oklahoma. Um, so I heard hung out with the church kids quite a bit as well. Mm. So how did that uh, impact the choices that you made, you know, through college and career wise? Like what impact did the the high school sort of dynamic have later on? Um, You know, I I would say the growing up where I grew up definitely gave me a strong sense of um, morality and right and wrong. And, you know, my grandmother especially was very um, influential to me about trying to make sure I was making the right life choices and, and, and putting a big sense of, um, you know, social justice and morality and, and kind of internalizing that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, then, but it's funny because when I think about that time of life for me, the opposite is also true where like growing up in this, you know, kind of small, obscure, um, not very culturally diverse city in Oklahoma, very much for me made getting out of it like a very <laughs> top goal from like a young age. I was mm-hmm. just like, this is not for me. I want to, you know, go carve my own path. I want to be successful, um, you know. So, like, reacting against that um, whole culture I grew up in also has had a had a pretty strong effect on me. I think. Walk me through how you go from, you know, high school to college to, to what you've ended up doing today, um, you know, and and getting to do this work that you've done. Because, like I, you know, I said. This is really not one of those things that's probably put in front of you as a potential option for a career. Yeah, definitely not when I went to college, it wasn't. Um, it's funny because now I, I've actually taught a couple college courses and, and speak to classes and have mentored some up-and-coming you know, people who want to get into this work. And they actually do teach classes in digital communications and social media and you know that kind of stuff now. But when I went to college, it was it, none of this was around yet. So, um, you know, I... I was always kind of a passionately curious person, and and I ended up majoring in history and and minoring in music just because I was very interested in those topics and didn't know what I wanted to do yet. Um, you can imagine, you know, those are both very practical things, so my parents were thrilled. Um, but uh, I 
from there, uh, I'd done some volunteer work and ended up working for some nonprofits here in Chicago and um, kind of while I was finding my, my way and went back to graduate school, actually got an MBA as a way to kind of test out a bunch of different topics and there got interested in, in marketing and communications and um, especially was interested in the fact that I was taking these courses on kind of traditional marketing mix and the four P's and all of these things you learn in business school while actually just communicating with people who worked at companies on Twitter every day. And that was a fascinating, you know, dichotomy and, and, and between how the world is starting to work now and how what we were still learning about how communications was supposed to work. You know, everyone still had this very mass media mindset. Um, and, you know, I, I was just I was seeing these barriers falling and the power shifting back to um, people. And I, I found that fascinating. And so I went into kind of digital with that mindset of, oh, I'm going to be part of helping people understand how to take advantage of this new world. Um, you know, and back then we were kind of making it up as we went along. We still, we still are to some extent, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people didn't really know what they were hiring for. And, um, we were able to, you know, put some strategy in place and actually put some frameworks around how this world should work now. Mm-hmm. So how do you go from there to being, you know, uh, the digital manager for accounts like Barack Obama and Barack Obama.com. So I, I, you know, there's always been a long and winding path. And I think that probably the most interesting careers always are. Um, I I actually had worked with a few people. um, I worked for Edelman digital here in Chicago for a while. And a, and a few people from there had gone on to work for Obama. You know, the Obama organization has pretty deep roots here in Chicago. Uh And so, um, I had worked with a few people who ended up doing some work for uh, the president and then ended up getting connected to his organization through them just as on a referral basis. Hmm. So I guess, you know, the the real question here is, is, you know, I mean, for most of us, that's sort of unfathomable, right? To like manage (laughs) uh, an account or deal with something that not only has so many rules put in place in terms of communication, just because you're not communicating, you know, on behalf of some brand or some personal brand or something like that. But I mean, this is, you know, the the leader of the free world effectively and and the most powerful person in the world. So lots of questions, as you can imagine, come from that. Um, I, I guess, you know, the first thing I'm curious about is what did you learn about people and human behavior, uh, from dealing with such high stakes communication? Yeah. Uh, so there are a few things that I would learn. Um, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, the fact that when people get together, especially online, they tend to behave differently than they do offline. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the, the reason behind that is something that, um, a professor a few years ago dubbed context collapse, which is that, you know, when I'm just having a conversation with you face to face, I can read your verbal cues, I can understand the social boundaries of the conversation that we're having. Those kind of things don't exist online. And so you can go on any account you want to on Facebook and tell someone off and, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself because you get no consequences from that. Well, Imagine that times a million people every single day, and those are that that's what's happening. You know, normal communities that you're managing um, online, there's a bell curve, right? There's a typical, um, you know, people on extreme one end who just love you no matter what you say, yeah. and the typical on the extreme other end that hate you no matter what you say. With a normal community, those are pretty extreme and small numbers of people, and most people kind of fall right in the middle of that bell curve of they're reasonable, they want their questions answered, they're interested in what you have to say, they're there for a reason, um, and with a little bit of nurturing and engagement, you can get what you want out of that community, right? Um, I think at scale, that bell curve actually starts to reverse itself. I think that you get, when you're when you're talking about Barack Obama or even some of the largest accounts, let's say on Facebook, like Coke or um, some of the celebrity accounts, you tend to get your most, most of the comments tend to come from the opposite ends of that normal bell curve. So the bell curve actually flips and you either get the people who 
completely love you no matter what you do and will comment on it and tell you that or completely hate you no matter what you do and will comment on it and tell you that. Um, so being able to s- separate the signal from the noise there in terms of um, you know, finding the people who are kind of in the reasonable middle, for lack of a better term, is really, really difficult at scale. Mm-hmm. And so for us in politics, you tend to just ignore both extremes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's true. Like you, the haters are going to hate and, you know, the people who love you, you're like glad that they're there because they kind of balance out everyone else and make you feel good about yourself. But like at the same time, you know, they're going to love you no matter what you do. So they're not all that, you know, helpful. So like you tend to just stick to your message and, and what's working and um, trust that, you know, some of those most avid supporters are going to get it out there. Um, but I'd say that what's interesting about it is that you can find ways to engage with um, people if you can drill down that scale a little bit. So like one of the ways that we did it was we would actually build um, a community, a kind of branded community for our most active volunteers and supporters where then we could actually have more one-on-one conversations with them and we could, you know, actually give them helpful information about, you know, our strategy or, or direction about um, an event they were putting on, let's say. So there are ways to drill down when you're, when you're talking about scale, there's a ways to give people kind of pathways to raise their hand and actually give you some meaningful behavioral feedback about who actually cares about what you're talking about. And then from a digital standpoint, create experiences for them that are different than just the masses are getting. So what did uh, growing up in a small town uh, teach you about community that you applied to doing this job? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, it's interesting because there's, I wasn't, it wasn't small to the point of, you know, I could walk down the street to my corner store, you know, like the, um, the idyllic movie sense of a small town where everyone knows each other and, you know, you know, all the shop owners and, and all that traditional, like small town community. I would say that what it taught me more than anything was how, um, isolated we can make ourselves in terms of our culture and our experiences and how we can so easily believe everything around us, you know, everyone around us believes the same thing that we do. And, you know, we can have conversations with people who believe the same thing that we do and not even understand that there are people out there who, um, you know, believe different things than us. And, and I would say that, you know, I was unique growing up in that, in that I sought out different perspectives intentionally and wanted to learn. Um, but it's really easy to be isolated, especially nowadays with our kind of media isolation that we have going on. But, you know, we've got a lot of geographical isolation um, happening in our country right now, too, where, you know, you don't meet people who aren't like you. And that's that's kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it's interesting you bring up isolation. You know, I um, I had a, a chat. I, I got to sit in on a talk recently where a doctor, I believe it was one of the Summit Series events, where he was talking about the many things that we do to build community. Uh, we've stopped doing because we seem to think that online communication is a substitute for actually seeing each other in person. And as a result, we're actually dealing with, you know, sort of uh, epidemic levels of unhappiness and anxiety and depression like we've never seen before. Right. Exactly, exactly. And that that's because of that, what I was mentioning about context collapse, right? Like we think that it's, it's a, um, a substitute for actual in person community. And it's really not, it's just a shade of it. Mm-hmm. it yeah. So I, I actually, I, I want to come back to this um, and, and talk about in person community and kind of translating online to in person. Um, but let's come back to that, because there's another thread that I want to go down. So uh, you mentioned that, you know, you have sort of extreme haters, you know, from from both sides when uh, somebody either loves you and, and you know, to, to like the nth degree or they hate your guts when it comes to something like this, especially because politics in, in general are a pretty sensitive subject. Right. Um, I, I'm curious about any particularly complicated or challenging situations where you've had to deal with people who are just a, a, a huge nuisance in these situations uh, that maybe we, we don't quite understand. And then the other question I, I guess I have is, is how do you decide what gets communicated or how, how do decisions get made about what actually uh, the world is let in on in terms of what's going on in our government? Yeah, I mean, we... 
So we were, as an OFA, we were in an interesting position when it came to the latter, which is that we maintained a grassroots army of 250 volunteer chapters across the country. Um, We maintained, you know, connections with people who were actually going out and doing the hard work of community organizing every single day in their communities um, on a volunteer basis, you know, which I have uh, utmost respect for. Um, And we tried to be their conduit to what was happening in D.C., what was happening in their local government, what was happening at the state level, um, as much as we possibly could and be kind of a means of communication for them. Um, But in terms of how we decided what was most important and what our messages were, um, that kind of came both through the combination of having just a really smart comms director that we had on, on staff, really smart research director, and having um, conversations with, you know, the, the Office of Public Engagement at the White House, with um, our other progressive partners and friends who are doing interesting work, with people on the Hill who are, um, you know, introducing legislation, etc. Um, and a lot of people at the state and local level who are, you know, introducing ballot initiatives, introducing, um, trying to get legislation through in their states um, to do some good, you know, work of change on the local level. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it wasn't... You know, there isn't a specific way it would happen. It was kind of a a conversation a lot of times between me as a digital director, our communications director, our executive director, to kind of decide what do our people care about the most? What are our progressive partners doing? What's going to be effective? Like, how can we actually, you know, turn the people that we're communicating with in a direction that's going to be helpful on any given day? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
So you may not be able to answer the question, so no worries if you can't. But how much? I mean, like, how much of the world are we actually seeing when it comes to government? Is a good amount hidden? And the the reason I'm asking this question is I just recently watched this Michael Moore documentary, "Where to Invade Next," and of course I know he's you know super sensationalist. But there are moments when I was like, wow, there's so much information I feel is being hidden from the public. Uh, and since I have you here, I'm, I'm just curious. You know, I'm guessing there's probably reasons for that as well. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, so. So I have a few answers to that, actually. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, So anyone who's listening who um, is worried about a massive conspiracy in our government, um, let me reassure you that people are not that smart. (laughs) I I mean, it's it's just true. I was having a conversation with a a longtime um, political aide recently, one of my good friends who's worked um, both for Obama but for a bunch of other candidates. And and has worked in government for a long time. And we just, most of the massive conspiracy theories out there, people just aren't that organized. Like the, our government is run by a lot of uh, smart people, but are who, who are part of a bureaucracy who are trying to get things done in that bureaucracy. And to think that they could be coordinated, coordinated enough to pull off half the conspiracy theories that are out there are are just kind of laughable. Like it's just not, it's just really difficult to do on top of the fact that information I truly believe wants to become public. Like if it exists out there, most of the time it gets out. I mean, you can see it happening right now on different levels in our government. So anyway, so, so, Rest assured that people are not as devious as you think they are. That doesn't mean that occasionally there aren't people hiding things, especially on an individual level. Of course, you know, that happens and we should have a government that's accountable. Um, But any kind of grand conspiracy theories you might have are just, you know, probably not happening. So just rest assured that, you know, what you see is what you get for a lot of the time. Our government is run by a lot of very earnest people trying to do what they think is best on both sides and trying to figure out the the way to get the work done that they want to get done within a system that is built largely to not get anything done. (laughs) It's true. Like on on the local level, on the state level, you have a checks and balances system that requires um, a majority of people or a majority of our representatives to vote a certain way on any given day. Um, and you know, it's really, really difficult. Like there's, this is why, um, who has a, de Tocqueville called it the tyranny of the majority or the tyranny of, um, you know, it's, it, when anytime a minority wants change to happen in this country and I, by a minority, I mean a minority of people who hold a specific belief or believe that change should happen. Um, they have to convince a lot of people and a lot of their legislators to believe the same thing in order for that to actually get done. You saw it with the fight for uh, gay marriage. I mean, that took, it felt like it was an overnight success, but that took 30 years of organizing and 30 years of convincing hearts and minds. Even And even when the majority of the country believed that it should have been done, you know, it took a Supreme Court decision. So, like, it is really difficult. And I, I have the utmost respect for the people who can show up, you know, like, hear the conspiracy theorists talk about, you know, how much they're evil people and, yeah, really, you know, and, and the, the atrocities that people kind of accuse our government workers of doing uh-huh. and, and still believe in the cause and show up to get it done every day. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. And I would also say just having worked, you know, closely with the, the White House in the last few years, um, there's a really interesting um, educational disconnect between what people believe the president can do and what he actually can do. He kind of becomes a figurehead of getting blamed for everything that is wrong with the government, you know. And yeah, um, yeah. there, don't get me wrong, the president can do a lot of things on the executive level, but especially when it comes to to you know legislation or whatnot. Like he really he can he can use his bully pulpit, but you know if Congress is stubborn, he can't do a ton. So like. Um, I don't know. It's just, there's, there is, there's a disconnect, like you said, between the information that is out there and how our government actually works. But I don't actually believe it's because there's a lot of people hiding how our government works. I mean, occasionally that is the case, of course, but I think it's actually just that there's a, 
educational disconnect between what's happening every day and what people actually pay attention to or care about. It's hard to get people to care about the like ugly, unsexy work of governing every day, you know? So then something happens and everyone's surprised about it. But, you know, like we're out there trying to get things done every single day. And like most of the time, it's not that, you know, we're surprising people with a bunch of things that are happening. It's that nothing is really moving and it won't move until we can get people to pay attention and care about it. Well, so that's really interesting. You know, uh, my, my business partner, Brian, and I were, were you know, having some conversations about the sort of politics and president and, and campaigns in particular. He said, you know, I get the feeling that people make a lot of promises during their campaigns and are, you know, running on all these issues, but the, that they're not really exposed to reality until they actually get elected. And so as a result, it's much harder to deliver on the things they said they would because it's kind of like, by the way, this is all the shit you have to deal with that you don't know about after you've been elected. Is that, I mean, is that accurate, would you think? Yeah, I mean, on a certain level, I would say that's accurate, depending on the politician you're talking to, of course. Like a lot of people who run have experience in government, so they kind of know what they're getting into. And then you could argue that the promises of campaigning are really just campaigning and they have no intention of actually fulfilling any of those promises. But, you know, that's, that's a different issue, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then you have people like, you know, certain businessmen, politicians who actually have no governing experience and actually don't understand how hard it would be to get things done. Um, that are where it's exactly what you're saying. Like, I think that they're probably over promising and they even believe that they'll be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, that raises two questions, um, which, you know, I, I'm curious about two things when it comes to this bank bailouts and uh, defense spending, uh, which, you know, I, I realize are really sort of broad questions. But I, I get the sense that, you know, at least what we're, we're told and maybe again, you know, my, my, my sources are not entirely accurate because, you know, Michael Moore, I know, is a total conspiracy theorist. Um, I, I'm just curious, you know, like it, it seems that we've done things like that that seem pretty questionable, even from a government standpoint, to say, okay, you know what, we're going to bail out all these billionaires, and they're going to pay themselves massive bonuses with these bailouts. Um, and nobody has been you know, punished or held to any sort of standard for this. And I, I'm just really curious, kind of having had the front row seat that you did to all of this, what you think about it? You know, I, so I'm not going to actually claim to be an expert in either of those things. Fair enough. Um, and so you know, not being the policy guy who is at the table with either the president or any of them to, you know, um, make any of those decisions or, or with defense bill spending, you know, the people making those decisions are mostly on the Hill. Um, so, but I do have a couple of, uh, well, I will call opinions about both of those things and why they exist. Let's start with defense spending. So one of those is (sighs) defense spending in this country is largely a political maneuver that, you know, because defense spending is, you know, it's proposed by the president, of course, but it's really approved by Congress. Usually defense spending kind of goes up with no ceiling because senators or whoever want to be able to go to their home district and talk about how strong on defense they are. You know, like it's all about the the bluster of America's got the greatest military, whether or not they actually need the money, which is that's the insane part. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, the Obama administration has actually, you know, found ways to trim the fat a little bit there, but they're still, they still have a gigantic budget more so than any other, you know, military in the world, all that. Um, so that's, you know, par for the course in terms of our political environment more than anything else. Um, you know, the Wall Street stuff is stuff that I've wrestled with for a while, just, you know, in my own kind of moral wrestling with that. Um the one thing I will say about the the bailouts is that, you know, having had this is where I think having my MBA and a little bit of economic background is um, helpful. And I was actually doing business school while the recession was happening. So we had a lot of discussions about that in my business school, which is actually fascinating. Um, but, you know, bailing out the big banks um, just in a in a vacuum sounds really bad, right? Like these people have done awful things. Why would we give them money? But the interconnectivity of our economy right now is insane. And so bailing out a big bank might sound bad on the surface, but the opposite of letting that bank fail actually has a lot of repercussions for everyday people, 
Like it is, you're talking about everyday people losing their jobs because their small business couldn't get the money that they needed to continue their workplace. So you're talking about, so not bailing out the big banks might be bad for the big banks, but it's also would have, have repercussions for the rest of the economy. And that's kind of why a lot of those decisions were made in early 2009. So actually prosecuting any of the people on Wall Street, I'm just as frustrated about that as anyone. Um, but I will say from what I've heard, and this is again just me trying to get a sense of it from people who are there, is that it, the bar for proving that one person was actually responsible for anything is actually really high and hard to do. Like, it's not just that no one wanted to prosecute anyone. It's that proving that you were the one pointing a finger at one particular person saying you were the one that was responsible for X, Y, or Z and having a specific legal, you know, burden of proof to be able to prove that that person did it is actually pretty difficult. So this is, again, one of those things where it's like we want to think that there's a big government conspiracy, but in, in my opinion, it's it's more just because people like there's a lot of earnest people who wanted to do the right thing in terms of like making Wall Street Wall Street accountable, but it's really difficult. Hmm. Wow. Um, so yeah. I want to ask it's you really heady like difficult topic. Yeah, yeah, talk. of course. Well, I've been known to do that to people. So uh, and this is fascinating stuff. And and you know, like I said, I'm asking mainly because like it's not because I'm I'm you know biased politically one way or another. I'm just curious about these things. Uh, from, you know, getting to hear it from the perspective that you have. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you about, you know, you've learned a ton about building community from managing, you know, such a massive community. How do you connect sort of what happens in the online world with what happens in the real world uh, when it comes to communities this massive? Yeah, great, great question. So and that was something that we actually thought about a lot, because like I said, the people that we cared about the most were the people who would show up and, you know, knock on doors and, you know, go to their congressman's office, you know, if we ask them to. And those were really who we considered our people. They were our core supporters. Um, and a lot of what they did was offline, right? So my job as digital director was always to create online experiences that allowed people to raise their hand and gave them a pathway to a deeper experience. So let's say you, you know, were a follower of one of our social media accounts, which had millions of people following it, you know, so one of the crowd, what we wanted to do is both educate you about the issues that we cared about. Um, and sometimes even taking a step back from that, it was entertaining you first, right? It was like, here's a, here's a funny photo of Bo the dog. And then you're like, Oh, that's so hilarious. Like, you know, and that was like the intro to our relationship, which is fine. Um, but then after that, it would be, Hey, did you know that, you know, the minimum wage hasn't been raised in X number of years? And hey, did you know that the average person working full time living on the minimum wage only makes $14,500 a year um, on the federal minimum wage? And, and that's for a family of four below the poverty line, you know, trying to educate you a little bit about the issues that we cared about. And then we would say, um, do you actually... Um, uh, think that this is a wrong thing. And if you do, um, can you uh, raise your hand and say that you want to do something about this? And then we'd give you an opportunity to get on one of our email lists. And then we would email you about the things that we know that you cared about. So like we wouldn't, if we knew that you cared about the minimum wage, we wouldn't email you about every issue under the sun. Um, we might give you the opportunity to raise your hand and say you cared about other issues too. But we tried to you know, respect the fact that you had given us permission to talk to you about this issue. And then when we knew that you cared about the minimum wage, we would say, hey, some people like you are getting together in the Chicago area to, you know, talk about why this issue is important to petition, do petition drive um, to get other people interested in it, or, you know, do a paid media event or any kind of number of local things. And then, you know, the relationship would scale from there. So that's kind of how we thought about moving you from online to offline. Hmm. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, I'm curious. Did you have any personal interactions yourself with the president directly? Um, I did. Okay. So um, I am really curious uh, what you learned about people, success, uh, motivation, and human behavior from directly interacting with somebody like President Obama. <laughs> this is, I mean... This is a hard thing because 
I, I truly believe that there are lots of things that a lot of us could learn that would make us better, more successful, uh, better leaders, um, all of those things. And then the, then I think there are the occasional once in a generation exceptional leaders that, you know, you just can't ever hope to be like, you know, like the Steve Jobs of the world that like we're always going to revere. And I really truly believe that Barack Obama is one of those once in a ger- generation politicians that like in 50 years, we're still going to be talking about. Um, so <laughs> I hesitate to be like, sure, you can be like Obama in these ways. Sure. Um, uh, you know, when the president walks into a room, he really commands the room. And you could say that about any president, but I would say that President Obama does it because he's charming and he's relatable and he listens to you and he's funny. And, you know, like he does, he does all those things to make you feel like he's an actual person and then also not an actual person because holy crap, you just, you know, we're in a room with Barack Obama. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, I mean, dealing with such a, a you know, high volume of work, um, you know, the high stakes information. I'd love to talk about sort of your day to day, um, habits, routines, rituals. I mean, what do you, what is your working ritual? Like, what is that? I mean, what was that like in this situation? Like, how do you, you know, how do you maintain creativity? How do you stay productive? Um, you know, and, and was it just sleepless nights constantly? I'm, I'm really curious about that aspect of this. <laughs> I think I had more sleepless nights at the beginning um, when I was like worried about being on the daily show every day. (laughs) Most people would be happy to be on the daily show every day. Yeah. I was just like, Oh God, don't let me be on the daily show because of an awful typo, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was at one point where, you know, editorial responsibilities kind of all fell on my shoulder. So like if there were mistakes that happened, I was ultimately the one that was accountable to it. So like that, that's a lot of pressure to put on any one person. And it, it took me a while to get used to that. But then after a while, you know, you get into a groove and you realize the things that matter and the things that don't, and, and it's okay. Um, so I, I, I would say that I got into, I, I knew I had a good filtering system for myself, especially with all of our, you know, approval systems. Um, I used, I used email probably more hours of the day than I should. Um, I definitely tried to find a way to not make decisions I didn't have to make. And I would say that my wife was very gracious about taking on a lot of the household responsibilities in the last four years. So, you know, Caroline, if you're listening, thank you. Um, I also got to the point, you know, just thinking about decision fatigue and, you know, having to make a thousand decisions every day about what goes out and what didn't. I, at one point I was wearing like the same clothes almost every day or like some version of the same clothes so that I didn't have to like think about even what I was wearing that day. Uh Wow. Um, I'm really curious, you know, once you've left this situation, how you've taken all the things that you've learned about people, about communication, about behavior, and where have you applied them in other areas of your life? Yeah, if anything, I would say it's definitely um, re uh, redefined what a crisis is for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say that I don't think anyone could come to me and like, you know, talk about what awful thing has happened. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, other other lessons in life. I mean, I would say that I, one thing that I am striving to do, especially after being around the people who work for Obama and who work for OFA, who are just like the most fabulous people who are dedicated to the mission, dedicated to making people's lives better in the face of like awful opposition and cynicism is, you know, so prevalent in our country. Um, that those are the kind of people I want, always want to be around. And I always want to work with, you know, people who are insanely smart and insanely hardworking, but have zero ego about it. Um, and, and who are able to kind of work across, across titles, across hierarchies to surface the best ideas, you know, like the, the best work that we did in the last four years and the most creative work would come from the most inobvious, you know, sources, just because we, we would, you know, our intern had a really great idea. We would turn it into a whole campaign. You know, like we we operated like that. And I think that was 
um, really, really great. And so being able to work in an environment like that with people that you care about who are dedicated and, and really fantastic people, I think is something I'm always going to look for. All right. So a few last questions for you. Um, what is one book, piece of music, movie, or you know, piece of art, something that has profoundly influenced your life that you would want to share with our audience? Ooh. And you can uh, name one of each if you'd like. Yeah. Book, uh, a couple books I've read recently have, have had a big impact. Um, on the positive side, I just read a book called Connect by the CEO of the former CEO of BP, who's making the argument for engaging radically with society, like making the argument that it is stronger for your business to be radically engaged with society and to help make society better than it is to like not do it at all or to make it just part of a corporate social responsibility effort. Um, he's making the case that it needs to be core to what you do. And I found that really fascinating by the former head of an oil company. Um, but really interesting read. Um, the other is <laughs> a few years ago, Dave Eggers put out a book called The Circle, um, which has just like haunted my night, my dreams like ever since. Um, it's about this like fictional social network that um, is kind of a mix of Facebook and Google and like every like large tech company that you've ever seen, but they basically like take over the world and like inhabit your thoughts by the end of the book. And it's frightening. And like, I've always been like everything that bad happens in technology. I now like relate it back to that book. (laughs) Um, um, yeah. So those, those are two things for, for books. Um, Oh, what's music? I mean, I'm from Chicago. So chance the rapper obviously is, is near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are those are things that I've kind of consumed lately, I guess. Very cool. All right. Well, this has been awesome. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish uh, all of our interviews with the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Well, I, I think that it is a mission, honestly. I think it's a, you know, you always hear people talk about finding your passion and finding, you know, the work that really drives you. Um, and I, I think that's kind of BS. Like, I think that the people that you want to be around are mission-driven people and, and the people who have found their purpose and, and their way to kind of make a ch- make change in the world in their own small way. And those are the people that I've found that I want to surround myself with. And the people who, you know, are about more than money, they're about more than themselves. You know, I... I if, if I could leave, you know, your listeners with anything, I'd say it's, it's find your mission, find the thing that you can, the way that you can contribute your skills to making the world just a little better. Well, this has been uh, amazing. I can see why Michael referred to you. Uh, wh- where can people find out more about you and, and what you're up to? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Caleb Gardner. Um, I'm going to be, you know, at a few conferences in the fall. If you want to um, come to those, uh, calebgardner.com or find me on medium. If you want to see some of my writing, I'm going to dip back into that now that I've kind of come out of my shell out of the political world. Um, so yeah, keep, please keep connected. Very cool. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that next time on the unmistakable creative. Well, see, comics was always my backup plan because my main plan was to be a major league baseball player. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And I held on to that dream, uh, probably until like, age 13 when I realized that I couldn't hit a curveball <laughs> um, and was a scrawny little Jewish kid. Uh, but uh, that was that was my number one goal. You know, that was what I thought about and was obsessed about um, for a long time. But um, the comics was sort of something I always did. It was just so much part of my, of who I was. You know, like when you're, when you're the only kid in your class who can draw, you sort of become you know, the star or, you know, when certain things are needed to be done, when it, when a Superman has to be drawn or when there's a mural that needs to be done or, um, when someone wants you to draw a horsey cause they love horses, you know, uh, that, that, that was nice to have that kind of attention. Josh Neufeld joins us to talk about the art of making comics. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that, and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.